please join Don and Greg as they discuss a newly released book by the Napoleon Hill Foundation entitled The Path to Personal Power on podcast number 642. In their interview together, they discuss the three powerful principles of definiteness of purpose, the mastermind principle, and going the extra mile. These principles are at the foundation of one finding their personal power and living a life of service. Please enjoy podcast number 642, interview with the executive director of the Napoleon Hill Foundation, Don Green. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voice and the host of Inside Personal Growth. And I want to thank all of my listeners, Albert, as I always do. Um, being on the air for 11 years doing this is uh, kind of unusual, actually. When you go back 11 years ago, there weren't a lot of people doing podcasts and especially a lot doing stuff on personal growth, wellness, mastery, spirituality. And I want to thank you for finding your way here to Inside Personal Growth. Uh, through Sounds True. This is a Sounds True book for my listeners. Um, it's called Writing as a Path to Awakening, a Year to Becoming an Excellent Writer and Living an Awakened Life. Um, good day to you, Albert. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me. It's a delight and honor. Well, it's a delight having you on and, and obviously Sounds True publishes some great books, actually books that help people awaken. That's what I love about Sounds True because we're all on that path. It's just how we get there. And I think how you help people get there is quite unusual. I'm going to let my listeners know just a little bit about you. Uh, Albert Flynn D. Silver is an internationally published poet, novelist, speaker, workshop leader. Uh, he has published several books of poetry and Beamish Boy, uh, which Kirkus Reviews calls a beautifully written memoir of awakening and self-acceptance. Um, he teaches at the Omega, Omega Institute, Esalon, uh, Spirit Rock, and writing conferences nationally. And for you who are out there listening, if you want to go to a great website, he's got a great one. Go to Albert Flynn, and that's D-E-S-I-L-V-E-R, just like the color silver. Well, pleasure having you on and, and an opportunity to speak about something which to so many people you know, I don't know if they really know that it's there. And you start in the preface of the book, you state that you want to remind everyone listening and everybody out there of their true nature via the basic premise. And you talk about the premise and the promise that we are enough. And actually, I speak about it in my book as well that just released. How does your book allow the reader to awaken to the fact that they are enough? Well, I think, you know, as we were saying a little bit off air, I'm, I think of myself as the great reminder. That's that's my role. Like, I'm just reminding people of, of things that they already know, right? And when we, we take time to get quiet and to look inside, we do realize that we are creative. You know, I think we're we're not just enough. We're more than enough. We're, we're creative geniuses in a way. And I know that that word genius is kind of a loaded term. You know, we have all sorts of associations with, you know, extreme intellectual powers and so forth. But really creative genius for me is just that, that willingness to recreate with, with the divine creative energy that is our, our nature. You know, we get so bogged down in our identities and our conditioning that we forget that, wait, there's this stream of energy that, that, that is creating all the time. And that's, that's who we really are. 
we're not this little identity that that says, oh, I could never write a book, or you know, I could never um, finish writing a novel or you know a play or whatever it is you know all those little voices of doubt and self-recrimination that just are constantly chattering um, there are lots difficult. of them you know it's difficult and that's why you know the book is really it's it's meant to be an inspiration but also a, a practical guide and so it's broken down into these 12 chapters for 12 months of the year and it's meant to be sort of an evolutionary uh, practice um, and every chapter has a uh, meditation exercise and a writing exercise and yeah, I that's love how you did that with you know april following the seasons too mm-hmm. and then how you intertwined what you wrote about for every season as well um it was brilliant in that respect and i think you know it, we all go through those seasons of life and you mentioned in this that devotion is a key to writing and i just having finished a book i will attest to that you know it's like okay <laughs> am i going to devote um three hours every day or three hours three times a week or whatever it is and mm-hmm. that not everyone who writes is published i thought that was interesting because you know a lot of us out here who are listening and they journal they just journal but they don't sure. ever uh, publish it. They publish it to themselves and maybe read it to themselves and maybe family members. Um, in your estimation, what are the what are the cathartic elements in writing to just write? Period. Write. Yeah, the cathartic elements. How do you mean? Like the the. Uh, well, I mean, you know, when people journal, that's cathartic. When people oh, write sure. a book, it's cathartic. I always say. I've done almost 700 interviews and the reality is every author who's writing is writing uh, really for the things that they need to learn. Right. <laughs> That's and, for sure. and, and, and so in, even in your book who somebody has written, but this is something you needed to learn and you're sharing with the world, your learnings as you're writing, how cathartic was this for you? Oh God, it was epic. You know, it's, it's like, I like to say that we don't know what we think until we write it down, right? Because memory is unreliable. And there's something that happens in that transmission from experience through the hand onto the page that, that is a step, that is an evolution in creativity and consciousness. And so it's, I like to think of it as a, I mean, it's all cathartic and it's all, a great mystery like wow what's this mind going to come up with next you know what's what's been resonating what's been filtering through this body um in the world what am i unconsciously noticing or sponging up as i move through the world and i don't know until i start to write it down mm-hmm. and so that's where it becomes really exciting and you know i i used to be stuck on that train of oh it's all been said before right? Like, do we really need another self-help book in this world? <laughs> you know, there's like millions of them. And yet we do because it's, it's never been filtered through my particular experience and my... Through your lens. Yeah, yeah. through my lens and, and my viewpoint. And, and, and that's not just my, I'm, I'm, talking, I'm, I'm talking in terms of the big my, like everybody has that uniqueness to them. And so we have to reconnect with that and believe that we can add our voice and that our voice matters to the world. 
Yeah, and I think one of the things I watched in your videos about, you know, I saw some videos of you where the camera got up close and it showed you writing in like a journal or writing something. And the the thing that intuitively came to me was just as I looked at the pages you'd written on, just words sometimes and things. You know, writing is not a linear process, right? No. Um, and, and, but I think a lot of people think, okay, well, I've got to get this hard outline and then I got to work from this outline to the sub outline, you know, just like we were taught in school to write a paper, um, you know, talk with us about this nonlinear aspect about how our brains just pick up these things. And then we get these aha moments in the process, because if we're going to awaken, the whole awakening is about awakening our intuition, having more aha moments putting those aha moments on paper, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's living, starting by living openly. Um, and it, it, you're right, it's certainly not a linear process. Like, like living is not a linear process. <laughs> There's all kinds of unexpected things that come flying into our experience. And so, yeah, I always, I mean, personally, I write in, on these, in these uh, bound canvas, thick canvas bound, notebooks that are open white blank pages and I, I just like having the, the open field of, of the page you know it's, it's my little field of possibility every time I open to a new white page it's like oh cool what's gonna what's gonna show up here and and I think that and also I have a background in the visual arts so and my handwriting is I used to call it messy and atrocious but now I like to refer to it as just um, curious and creative. Why don't <laughs> you know? they just call you Dr. Albert? I saw the handwriting on the video. It's what it looked like. <laughs> well, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to label these things and, and limit them in any way, right? Uh, but, but I just have your, fun you with were it. expressing yourself. I mean, I can see that. It's like, you know, it doesn't, I think people, again, that's part of what I'm talking about here is it's not perfect. It's a messy process. But yeah. it all comes out in the end, and awakening is kind of a messy process, right? Yes, indeed. Uh, it doesn't just like, okay, one day turn on. And you know, you state that, I, and I love this, you state that we set off writing on a path to awaken by turning into what we are not. <laughs> um, what do you mean by this comment? Because you had a couple of other statements in there as well, but you well, know- yep. Go ahead. There's this whole thing in um, in Indian uh, spirituality, neti neti, not this, not this. Mm -hmm. And the, the spiritual teachers, the one in particular that I'm most influenced by and inspired by is Nisargadatta Maharaj, who said that I cannot tell what I am because words can describe only what I am not, which kind of mm -hmm. completely throws you off, right? Because mm -hmm. We're so used to identifying with our name and our bodies and our history and our stories, and yet that's not the truth. The truth is that we are not all that stuff. You know, we're not that identity. We're that which makes that identity possible. And that's like a whole reworking and revisioning of consciousness and awareness and self. And so when you when you keep negating and keep and, 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 and when I say negating, I'm not saying like to deny the world or to deny any aspect of of your 
yourself, the, the embodied self or the, the, um, the named self, but that in ultimate terms, we're not that. I mean, certainly in practical daily terms, there's an aspect of our ourself. You know, me as Albert that needs to move through the world and pay my bills and go shopping and take the dog yeah. to the park and whatever. You know, right. that's all very practical. But in larger spiritual terms, that's not who I really am. And when I can rest in that larger sense of of um, of the ground of being, of that which makes the words possible, then, you know, I become this creative agent that's just always being renewed, always being refreshed. Um, yeah, I think that is a way of being in the world. Well, and it's also when you're writing, it's a way to come from creativity. And we're going to speak about that. But I love the way you put this because obviously you have a heavy Buddhist uh, twist on this. And, and I study as, I don't say as much as you, but the reality is it's there. And I like the whole concept of impermanence because it reminds us, you know, those the stories of the the Buddhist monks that come here um, and, you know, they, they have a watch by their bedpost and they'll say, well, why do you put that watch up there? And it's to remind me how much closer I am to death. And and they don't look at it as from a death to say, okay, well, I'm dying. But the reality is, is that, you know, that's in this world, we get so caught up in the world versus of the world comment. Let's just use that one versus Uh the Gita quote. Uh, that this allows us uh, to be of it, this kind of experience that you're talking about. And, and, and on that note, you know, you mentioned there were two of the most profound early reading experiences you had were Roald Dahl and Danny, the champion of the world, um, and Essie Hinton's The Outsiders. Why were these works? Because uh, it's the big, what is it? I've watched the thing so many times, the, the Dahl movie, about the big friendly giant, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Couldn't be a better movie than that big friendly giant. Why were the, these James works... James and the Giant Peach, mean? What? James and the Giant Peach? Is that the one? No, he had the big friendly giant, BFG. Oh, okay. That's his, too. Yeah. Have you ever seen it? I haven't. Oh, well, then you need to look at the BFG. Okay, um, I'll check that out. So why were these works so profound for you at your early, you know, because look, we're all influenced as we go through life. We've got all these influences and sure. you're claiming these two were the big influences for you. Yeah. Why was that? Well, you have to read the book to find out. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I'll give you the short version. Um, you know, I think it was because the writing, it, it was like the first time I remember being just driven into this imaginative world, particularly with Danny, the champion of the world. You know, I just remember getting immersed in this other world and reflecting on that as an adult. It's like, wow, that's an amazing power to be able to transport someone, you know, transport a child into this imaginary world of, you know, the forest and the pheasants and the raisins and the sleeping pills and and the relationship between father and son. And, you know, and it just, that was a a little point where I was like, oh, okay, that's something that people do. That's something that books have a a tendency toward or good books are, are this, this realm of imaginative possibility. Um, and then the same could be said about the S.E. Hinton books, but there was an aspect of the the um, community, I think, that was sorely lacking in my world. You know, I grew up very isolated and, a, and a alcoholic, 
environments and these two older sisters and and I just you know I looked to those characters as almost like my friends and there was a reflection there of of my own little tribe once I got into to middle school and I I um I had my little group and my friends and we drank and we caused trouble and smoked dope and you know and, and we thought of ourselves as a gang and um, so I, I really love that about that book. You know, it just it it just brought me into this this sense of community. I think. Yeah, it's uh, I for my listeners. Obviously, this book is is very well written. <clears throat> Opportunity for you to reflect and practice um, what he's talking about here, and really get into your writing. Um, we're talking about really a depth more this book, and I want to ask you this question. You mentioned that there's a term in the world of writing that you've never fully understand called emerging writer. Oh, right. Um, what does it mean in your estimation to emerge as a writer? Well, I think it's just that, you know, it's sort of emerging from dormancy into lively practice and engagement. Mm-hmm. And so for me, that was, that was actually sitting down and doing the work you know, really engaging with books, engaging with, with the writing and, and actively reading and then having a crack at it, you know, having a crack at it with my own, my own heart and mind and going to that notebook day after day. And well, you wrote and la- poetry before doing this book. I mean, much oh, I did. Me. Yes, yes. I, I wrote poetry for 15 years, almost exclusively. So when you write poetry, it's, it's really you know, Albert, it's a different kind of space. Explain the difference between writing poetry and writing a book like what you just wrote. <laughs> oh, God, it's funny. I was just I'm working on a, a blog post right now for um, this terrific site called Dead Darlings. Mm-hmm. Have you ever heard of that? It's nope. A, it's a novel writing uh, site, a blog, and it's, it's quite interesting. Anyways, uh, and in that, that piece, I'm I'm writing a lot about how I had to learn, you know, because I was so used to writing. In poetry, you're, you're writing these kinds of fits and starts, these musical bursts of language that are often, you know, they're tangential, they're random, they're, you know, and, and my early poetry was very much about sound. It, it didn't, you know, it wasn't about narrative. It wasn't about telling stories necessarily. And so it was very disjunctive. And then... Mm-hmm. You know, so I do this for however many years, and then it comes time to write a memoir or, you know, any sort of prose, uh, and such as this, nonfiction. And I had to learn how to complete a sentence. <laughs> you know, like, how do you do that? Right. How do you complete a sentence? How do you thread one sentence to the next, to the next, to the next, to a paragraph that's, that's cohesive and that's going to draw your reader through an evolutionary plot of some kind um so it was a real study honestly you know and the study was both the reading and the writing and the writing and the reading and so i just started i hadn't read many memoirs and then i just started reading memoirs and i kind Mm. of got obsessed with memoirs and you know a lot of it started with writing with reading uh, memoirs by like augustine burroughs um you know, if you've never read his memoir, Dry. Um, I've been a devout and practicing alcoholic for years. Um, I love that book. You know, it was it was all about his story of 
of transcending alcohol addiction. And it totally inspired me to, to write my own story. Well, like I say, people that are writing like that are, are writing to heal themselves, but also mm-hmm. writing for readers to hear a story which can be very similar to their own uh, yep. to help them out of a situation. Um, and, you know, poetry does the same thing. It just depends Absolutely. on how you are able to interpret poetry. Um, and you quote Carl Sandburg, uh, poetry is an echo asking a shadow to dance. You go on to replace the word poetry in the sentence with I. And you said, I am an echo asking a shadow to dance. What does this evoke within you? And how can our listeners who are out there right now become more curious, imaginative um, with their desires to write? Yeah, I think that that is really the essence of poetry is pointing into the great mystery, right? Because mm-hmm. you can't figure that line out. You can't really understand it in a logical sense. You know, poetry is an echo asking a shadow to dance. What does that even mean? <laughs> we have no idea what that means. Right. And yet it inspires some sort of imaginative mystery. It's some imaginative leap within us. It's like, why would someone write that? Why would someone share that with the world? And you just appreciate and revel in those words, um, pointing into a kind of essence. I mean, um, it was T.S. Eliot, I think, who said that poetry is a raid on the inarticulate. Mm, that's true. Right? I, I don't think anyone could have said it any better. And yeah. I think, and, and for people who don't read a lot of poetry when they start to do it, it's almost like, it's like a drudge. You know, they've got to, They've really got to get through it unless they've got a very open mind. I know that, you know, many times I'd go to sit and read poetry and it was like, I don't get it. You know, it's like, I don't get it. Well, often that's the approach is wrong, right? They're trying to get, they're trying to get, and it's not about getting, it's about receiving. It's true. But you, you actually, as you state, you have to be in that state of consciousness. So whether you go walk in the park or you meditate or however you're going to alter your state of consciousness to get there, meaning get there to be unattached to the outcome mm-hmm. that you will have a greater experience if you can do that. But if you're sitting down to read a book of poetry, thinking that you're supposed to get something, you're in, you're in sorry shape, I'll tell you, because I've tried. Um, <laughs> so, and you state that you state that, activating our imagination is about merging with the one. And I love this because this is really about, I just did an interview um, two weeks, three weeks ago with Ken Wilbur and I had another, and I had another one scheduled with Ken for yesterday, but he got sick on his new book about Trump. Um, Oh boy. But yeah, exactly. But you talk about this merging into the one and the mysterious one and the yeah. one that makes the imagination possible. Mm-hmm. What advice do you have about merging with the collective, as you call it in the book, to reaching this altered state of consciousness? Because yes, while we understand we are all one, I mean, I'm a member of SRF, Self-Realization Fellowship, mm-hmm. and Parmahansa talks about the wave and, the, and you obviously write the drops of water. We're all part of the ocean yet we're all the individual drop of water as well. 
And you're actually talking about this merger being part of the whole ocean. Mm -hmm. How do you help your students who come to you to reach that altered state? Or maybe I should say the the state of consciousness we should live in all the time, actually. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right? Because I think most of us, we're trying to go somewhere. And the fact is we're already there. Exactly. Right? We're always trying to to go somewhere. Huh? Yeah. Well, I, you know, what I keep doing is I keep, keep pointing uh, back to silence mm-hmm. and entering into that silence and, and letting them know that it's, it takes an enormous amount of courage to just sit there and breathe for extended periods of time. You know, this is the practice of meditation, which is so, so simple. It's like the simplest thing in the world to do. Just sit there and be quiet, right? right. But after a couple of minutes... 99% of people start to get fidgety and they start to get uncomfortable and they start to have all kinds of urges and their mind starts to wonder. And this is all very natural because this is just part of the human condition. And so we practice. We become devoted to that, to that, learn, that yearning toward the beloved, as Rumi calls it. Mm-hmm. And the beloved is just ourself, that larger sense of self. But it's, it's a devoted practice of returning to silence. And, you know, I, I still go on silent retreats every year. And, and I meditate, if not quite daily, then most days. Right. And, it's, and I've been through for a year. I mean, I've been practicing for 20-something years now. And it's, I, I just know that... There's, there is a space of awakening that's, that's within us, that's available to us at all times. But we have to be willing and courageous enough to surrender to that. Because we can get, we do, we sort of understand it intellectually. Oh, yeah, we're all one, cool, groovy, whatever, dude. But the reality is most people don't really get it. You know, they're still we're still so tied to our reactivity and our conditioned mind. And yet it's always available. The possibility is always available to us to, to return to silence. Yeah. I think that that for the most part, including myself for a number of years, you know, you run away from that because the silence actually reveals something that when you do get there, sometimes you have this aversion to you're resistant to you you don't want to wake up to it um it's really giving you um answers to questions you've had very deep questions about yourself and the world around you mm-hmm. and so this world is actually designed there was a npr thing about a um a guy who studies uh meditation and he's a doctor you know the pain pleasure concept mm-hmm. you know running uh, away from pain and toward pleasure but pleasure itself is just so momentary. So you can never capture pleasure, no matter if it's a bigger car or a better wife or bigger bank account or whatever it might be. But I thought that was really interesting concept is that we, the conundrum we're in, in the insidious behavior we have is just the fact that we will run from it more often than we will run to it or go to it. Um, And, you know, you invite readers to take this journey with you as to open them up to expanding their consciousness and at the same time to heal in the process. Mm -hmm. And just like you, you know, the alcoholism in the family, the issues, 
you have 10 precepts for writing. I thought we'd kind of sum up this interview today with you kind of saying, okay, here's the 10 precepts. Um, just mentioning them briefly, making a little bit of a comment. Um, but I think that they are important um, to overall what you're uh, having and what you're teaching people, I should say. Sure. Yeah, I mean, these, these are kind of sort of precepts or ways of being that, that come out of, out of the yoga traditions and out of any, all of the major religions. You know, they all have these, these modes of conduct, really, of how to be in the world with kindness, with awareness, to, to mitigate suffering. Compassion. And so, yeah. Yeah, and so this, this is my, sort of my compilation of that uh, for, that will help us not only in our lives, but also creatively, to help us become more creatively awake and creatively astute. Um, so you want me to just name them? Yeah, just name them, sure. sure. Okay. So we've got compassion for all living things. Mm-hmm. And that, that includes the, the things that we have aversion to. Uh, there's lots of living things that, are, that, are, um, that we don't like. And like how do gnats. we? Yeah, gnats. right. Gnats and it, mosquitoes. Mosquitoes. It, you know, <laughs> and then it goes all the way up through the, the food chain up to, right. Right. to certain humans from, you know, other political parties or other continents or races or whatever. And, right. And so being, becoming aware of those aversions and, and turning that energy into kindness, turning that energy into love and compassion and understanding. Um, and then number two is truth, the seeking of truth with a capital T. Mm-hmm. Um, whatever that, that means to you, you know, the word truth, is, that's also a loaded term. Everybody um, has their own truth. Everyone has their own kind of truth. And then there is this sort of this, this larger truth, this truth of reality. Right. Um, one of my favorite teachers, Adi Ashanti, he, he always says, argue with reality and you're going to lose every time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's just a very straightforward, very simple um, spiritual reminder, right? Yeah. Um, number three is not stealing. You know, realizing that there is infinite abundance, like there's there's no need to to hoard. There's something to take from others. Um, um, oh, and then in terms it. of creativity, there's always that fun quote from Pablo Picasso, who said, "Good artists copy, great artists steal," mm-hmm. which is yeah. not, I repeat, not an invitation to ever plagiarize. But the reality is that as artists, we are we are influenced and inspired and motivated by those who came before us. Uh, you can't be. I mean, your subconscious is a treasure chest of memories and things that have happened throughout your life to draw upon. And so that's exactly. just kind of how that, you know, that happens. Just the other day to comment, side note, um, they interviewed the 94-year-old woman that was married to Public Picasso. And uh-huh. an interesting note, she said uh, in the interview, because she's still alive. She's quite an artist herself. Um, Albert, she said that she told Picasso that she would not stay married to him forever. And he had such an ego that he said, oh, no, you won't leave me. And he had lots of mistresses, you know, it wasn't just her. And she says, oh, yes, I will. I know that I had to take second place or second fiddle when I married you, and I'm not going to stay in this place forever. So she left him, and in the end, what he did to get back at her, 
he basically wrote her out of whatever will or whatever she would have had or inherited or whatever. But I thought it was an interesting story about how big his ego was. Oh, and she yeah. said his ego was monstrous. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then you look at the influence and where did he, he sort of pilfered a lot from, from traditional African forms and African masks and, and things like that. Yeah, you know, and, and when he first started painting, I don't know how many people really know this, but he wasn't just painting the abstracts. He painted, you know, life scenes. And I don't think people really know that. He was doing a lot of that first. But that's interesting. So uh, you are on number four. I think you're yes, at five. Yes, number four, now. merging with the one. And here we come back to the one. And this is okay. where we get into the practice of right action. Mm-hmm. Um, and just being aware of sexual conduct and relationship and and reconnecting to the ultimate relationship with the self, with the larger and spiritual self. Um, number five is non-grasping. Mm-hmm. And that's all about, for writers particularly, writing it down and letting it go because we can't hold on to anything. That's one yeah. of our, the truth, reality, knowing that there's, an infinite wellspring of, of brilliant ideas and so we let go of them we let them out into the world and i'll let people know you can't get them all in a book even if you wrote a 700 page book <laughs> true uh number six is purity purity of intent purity of practice purity of body and mind you know what do we expose ourselves to um, how do we how do we keep that sense of of pure intent in our hearts as we create. Um, number seven is contentment, mm-hmm. um, orienting your mind and your life toward the natural state of peace, ease, grace, compassion, and love. Uh, number eight is burning enthusiasm. You know, one thing I noticed about the successful artists and successful anybody's in the world is that they're very enthusiastic. You know, there's this invigoration, there's this liveliness, there's this vibrancy for life. And so attending, you know, creating that, connecting in with that deep energy of the self and celebrating, harnessing the energy of excitement and possibility. Um, And this is part of the creative energy of the universe. Mm -hmm. Um, Nine is self-study. Above, and this is time for a little short little poem from Dogen. But above my altar where I sit every day, um, I have this hand-painted and hand-printed work by the artist and publisher J.P. Bryan. And it's uh, from Zen master, writer, poet Dogen from the 13th century, where he says, to study the way is to study the self. To study the self is to forget the self. To forget the self is to be enlightened by all things. To be enlightened by all things is to remove the barrier between self and other. Now, no trace of enlightenment, though enlightenment continues in daily life endlessly. Uh, that's, a, that's a great quote. It's something that uh, I'm going to ask you to send that to me when we get yeah. off air. <laughs> Certainly. Yeah, that's one of my all-time faves. And this is about self-reflection, right? I mm-hmm. forget who it was who said um, the unexamined life is not worth living. Right. <laughs> Which was a little extreme, but... The point being that we need to reflect, you know, we need to take time to self-investigate. 
Um, yeah, and, and on that note, maybe not so extreme, you know, because the reality is, is if you're going to live your life, like you're asking people who come into your workshops and your seminars and hear you, you're, you're really asking them to enliven and open up and become creative and innovative and remove the fear and the barriers that have kept them in one certain spot. So you're exposing them to really kind of this whole new world. Uh, opening and, and as you call it, emerging before them, but I'm going to really say awakening within them, which is the title of your book. But, you know, that is the essence of this book. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because I, I grew up in a, in a family of people who did not examine the, their lives and right. themselves. Right. And they were very self-destructive. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for the first 22 years of my life, I was not self-reflective. I was self-destructive. And so that seems to be the other side of that coin. If you don't self-examine, if you don't examine your life, the chances are you're going to be running around in mass confusion and sort of numbing yourself from the, the terrors of the world, as it were. Well, but I think the knowledge that you receive by doing the self-examination, whether you you know look at it depending on whether you want to call it a spiritual awakening or just the the knowledge that you would acquire, it's huge. And people, my my wife still asks me, she says, you know, we've done 600 and almost 50 of those podcasts. Why do you keep doing that? <laughs> and I keep saying, because everyone that I interview and read their book and preview, I'm learning. And now I can express to the world a unique self, which is me, my own DNA, which is an expression of all of these people that have had influence on me, including you, every one of them, because I learn from all of them. Right, right. Yeah, and never stop learning. No, never and I think learning. that is the key, is that you have to have that, you talk about it, this level of curiosity, you know, um, high levels of imagination, curiosity, inquisitiveness, um, you know, you just, as you say, uh, be amusing as well. That's another thing you write about in the book. Uh, yeah, there's a whole is, chapter on amusement. Yeah. What role does amusement play in helping a writer find and express their inner creativity? You know, you've got a whole chapter in that. And I just want to say to my listeners that, you know, Albert has done uh, an exceptional job. Not only is the book easy to read, but it also is going to, you know, I kind of look at this as DIY, right? It's if you really wanted to do something DIY, buy this book, go out and get it. And just start um, doing the things that Albert is not saying, telling you to do, but he's asking you how to express yourself. And he's asking questions at the end of these chapters as well and giving you opportunities for reflection. And I think that's important because you are awakening within people their creativity and imagination to put it down on paper. And it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Anything you want to tell our listeners about you or any workshops coming up or things that are happening that, yeah, um, that they should know about. Well, first of all, thank you so much. It's been a really wonderful conversation. And um, we didn't get to number 10, but I'll just name it really quick. Yeah, Celebrating the spiritual. Well, you missed eight as well, but that's okay. Oh, I did? Yeah. <laughs> well, see, all the more reason that we need to, to um, <laughs> read the book. Um, but yeah, the book is really an invitation, um, an invitation for people to go on this journey themselves. And um, and if you are interested in, in joining us live, I do events all over the country and 
you can check out the website. Um, I've got a really exciting event coming up in Colorado at the Shambhala Mountain Center in uh, September 21st through the 25th with um, the great Susan Piver, who's mm -hmm. a wonderful teacher and writer, and Lodro Rinsler from New York, who founded Mindful Center there. And, uh, and that's going to be, we're calling it the Writing and Mindfulness, or Writing and Meditation Summit. And um, you can find out about that on the website as well. Yeah, that's um, on these little postcards as well. But so for my listeners, what you want to do is you want to, you can reach Albert. We'll have all of these in the blog entry. But again, it's Albert Flynn, and that's F-L-Y-N-N-D-E-S-I-L-V-E-R.com. That's one way. Twitter, Poet Albert. Um, and you can email him, actually. Are we okay to give him your email address if they want to write you an email? Or well, not? there's a contact us link on the website. Okay, we'll just have him go there. Mind. Yeah. yeah. So reach, reach out to Albert. He'd love to hear from you. Um, love to get your questions and thoughts and comments and um, so on. Albert, a pleasure having you on Inside Personal Growth today and spending just a few minutes with my listeners, um, uh, talking with them about your new book. And for my listeners, you can find this on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, all, all good booksellers. It's called Writing as a Path to Awakening, A Year to Becoming an Excellent Writer and Living an Awakened Life. And we've been on with Albert D. Silver. Thanks, Albert. Thanks so much, Greg. A delight.